podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hey gang, now there's something I just can't get out of my mind. Nope, not the time that I and Mike rocked up to record a show in a tank top and speedos. Oh, despite all the years that I've been covering the NFL, I've had to face the startling realization that I am amongst the worst fantasy football players in the history of the world. So I'm doing something about it, roping in some big league or pro fantasy talent courtesy of the brilliant James Sandrini, a.k.a. The Guru. And together, along with some very special guests, we are dropping FFS, Fantasy Football Sharps, each and every week throughout the 2022 season. So if, like me, you're the Cleveland Browns of your respective fantasy league, time to re-up. Check out FFS, available in our NC Show pod feed. Hello and welcome to the Nat Coombs Show. Good to have you with us, gang. We are very excited about today's guest. He's one of our faves, one of the very best X's and O's guys in the business. These days, he's the editor of Gridiron and he is joining us to get into the season and in particular key down on three teams that he thinks are going to be a compelling watch for various reasons. Let's get straight down to business and welcome back the brilliant Ollie Connolly. Ollie, great to see you. As we were just chatting before we started recording the show, here we are five weeks away, uh, or five and change uh, before the start of the season. And I love this this phase of the year because it's when uh, I get my grubby mitts on all the key annual guides. Lindy's rocking up. I mean, I've been getting these as far back as I can remember since I was a kid. Uh, love the unreconstructed Lindy's that still have pictures of cheerleaders in them. <laughs> that's uh, that's something's never changed. And of course, uh, the Gridiron season preview, which of course you are the architect of, uh, you and friends, of course, uh, leading the charge now as the editor of Gridiron. Congratulations on it. I think it's absolutely brilliant. The best yet. It must have been a lot of fun to put together. Uh, fun, yeah. That's one one way of putting it when you have to <laughs> condense what would typically be about, I don't know, four months of work into like a four-week time period and you're just <laughs> rattling away at night like the Jim Carrey meme or something to try and get this thing <laughs> over the line. What it has done for me, you know, through that time of the off-season, you know, people like say are winding down, a lot of media members go on holiday. I am just overflowed with takes about every single team at a time of the year when people are just trying to, you know, get back up. Switch to up. Wait, who went yeah. well? Mohamed Sanu's playing for who now? Yeah. I am just full to the brim with with all the time. <laughs> I, I, I hope Propo is taking notes here because, of course, he's been sunning himself on a beach for much of the off-season as we've been talking about regularly on the show. Ollie, listen, this is how it's done. Uh, and Ollie Conley, maybe a day off, is a little bit like uh, the post uh, the morning after the the night before Super Bowl press conference when coaches are just talking already about winning the Super Bowl next season. You were straight back into it uh, the moment that it is done. Well, that's great that you're full of takes because there are there are three teams in particular that we're going to key in on on today's show and get your takes. I know you're a big, big uh, hit with the listeners with uh, your demystifying of X's and O's and just talking, I think, about general scheme and approach. Uh, and there are three contending teams, I think it's fair to say, that we want to drill down on. I want to start with the Chiefs. I want to start with their offense because it's all 
change or significant change with Tyreek gone. You've got Valdez Scantling coming in, who is a deep threat. Juju coming in. I still forget Juju's only 25. Yeah. <laughs> was, how do we live in a world where Juju is only 25? Which I guess in receiving years is is like a, a quarterback being 35, right? So, but still, Juju, Juju in. That was an intriguing deal. Uh, obviously, Kelsey and Hardman return. They've got the X factor of Sky Moore. Um, the backfield, I think one of the more underrated pickups is Ronald Jones being added to, to the backfield. I really like that move. Uh, and of course, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, high hopes for him, although uh, as yet, for different reasons, hasn't hasn't lived up to the billing and the hype. So how does this all shake out, Ollie? What does the 2022 Chiefs offense look like? I'm fascinated. You know, I genuinely have no idea whether they're going to ditch all that went before because they've lost Tyreek Hill and there is no one else in the league who tilts the field the way Tyreek Hill does. And even down to the base of their offense being more in the RPO world, they were able to cheat and get away with stuff because of how defense is set up their second level, essentially, which is backing up probably two yards deeper than you would ordinarily do because of the fear that not that this guy gets deep, but that he catches the ball. And if you've got the wrong angle, it's a wrap, right? Mm -hmm. How many times do you see him pick a, the, the easiest of drag routes and he just takes it to the house 40 yards down the field? That's that, That's the specialty. So the big thing to me, I, I just think they're going to run the ball a ton more. They're going to try and run everyone out of those two deep looks that, that, that gave them some issues last season. And they have probably the best offensive line in the league, top to bottom. Certainly the interior is the, the most dominant in the league. And they've drafted guys all of a specific profile on the offensive line who don't really fit what they did before anyway. So I think their whole thing will be almost reverting back to Andy Reid, Philadelphia style where it's run the ball, run the ball, run the ball. Whenever they spin down to single high, we'll take our shot. Mm -hmm. And it's just purely about, we're going to build a great offensive line. We've got this great quarterback locked in forever. If we give him time, someone will get open. And I think so, that, that's what it's come down to. And then they've got a lot of options in that, in that respect as well. And Valdez Scantling, I think, is then a, an intriguing signing given, given that context, right? Because he is clearly a, a dangerous deep threat. Where are you on Sky Moore? Because, I mean, I, I called him it the X Factor because everyone seems to be calling him the X Factor. He seems to be one of these rookies that has inevitably given the kind of player that he is and the situation he's going into. Uh, a lot of it, there's a lot of excitement surrounding what he might do. Do you feel he might be one of those players that will deliver from day one? Yeah, I, I mean, that was one of those ones when they got him. I was, why is the league not allowed to veto certain things? And <laughs> it's similar right. to people would just land with the Patriots. Like, how is that allowed during the Brady Belichick run? He reminds me of Julian Edelman. He is mm. that shifty slot guy who beats everyone off the line. He had probably the best release in the entire draft. It's just the, the physical attributes that people had any concern about. Well, that doesn't matter when you plug him in, as you said, almost the third man down the line where you have Nicole Harbin as the, the almost Tyreek Hill clone, but worse, you have uh, Valdez Scantling, you mentioned who I actually think Valdez Scantling, he was misused in Green Bay where people have made him out to be a deep threat because they asked him to do that role because Devontae was doing so much other stuff. And ordinarily your ex guy, Devontae, the star would be the guy getting down the field. Mm. I, I think Valdez Scantling will be much better as kind of the intermediate breaking off quickly guy, mm. um, which I think slots in nicer to what the Chiefs would want to do this season. Anyway, whereas Hardman is the guy who kind of pushes you back because he's so quick. And then you have Sky Morris, the shifty guy underneath who gets some yak. And as I said, just makes tough catches. In traffic, it's it, it, the jigsaw there fits together really nicely, particularly when you add in the factor of Mahomes getting time with that line. Mm, okay, so offense, mm, things are good. Defensively, interesting to see your take there. As you pointed out in the, the gridiron preview, they were dying a slow death until Melvin Ingram came in midseason. They became much more potent as a result of that. But he's gone now. 
Tyron Matthews gone as well. And he, uh, by all accounts, very much the brains of, of the uh, operation, much like Propo actually on this show, the brains of the operation there. So unsurprisingly, uh, Brett Beach flexing in the draft. So they've got a huge collection of young, untested players on this defense. So that is high risk poker, isn't it? Really high stakes poker to to back so much of your um, of your season on a bunch of untested rookies. Or do you look at the other way and think, well, things can't really get much worse. They rank, what, 30th in sacks despite the second half pop last season. Uh, and I know pressure isn't all about that, uh, of course. Uh, or rather, sacks isn't the only stat you should look at when you're considering pressure. But even though they turned it around uh, in the second part of the season, it was still one of the, the weakest defenses in the NFL. So maybe that is the, the smart play to, to re-up with, with some youth. What have you made of the changes they've made? What are you thinking about the defense of the Chiefs? It's interesting. I thought they were really, really good down down the stretch. I thought they won the five, six best defenses in the league from week eight onwards. They, they were unbelievable, particularly Nick Bolton, who was a linebacker who was like completely lost in the first six weeks of the season and was it was just a travesty. And then out of nowhere he becomes one of the one of the most effective linebackers in the league. They kind of adjusted his role slightly and then he took off. You mentioned mm-hmm. Ingram coming in allowed them to move Chris Jones inside. They moved him outside for bizarre reasons, just for his ego, and he was terrible. So they moved him back inside, and hey, he's one of the best plays in the league again. That was unusual. They just throw Daniel Sorensen away. The thing they've done mm. in terms of more of a nerdy perspective is they were so rotation heavy, and they had this whole philosophy about we move, we, you know, we do more on the back end than anyone else. We have Tyron, so we can put him anywhere on the field and move him to anywhere on the field, and the quarterback has to find the guy. So he's IDing him constantly because he's worried about the honey badger and kind of the reputational advantage of who he is as a player. From the moves they've made, just going and Justin Reed and, and then drafting a safety too, it seems like they want to be more like, let's just line up and try and play football because they were having real issues last season lining up and playing football. So that to me seems to be the pretty clear thing of maybe we're over-egging it a little bit. Maybe we're trying to do a bit too much. Let's just try and play a bit more constricted. We've got Chris Jones. They draft the pass rusher, uh, Carl Laftis, who I think can be a, a Trey Hendricks's. Trey Hendrickson style day one impact guy. Mm. Uh, and that's how I think they'll try and piece it together where it's not as takeaway for everything they did previously was about, we have to generate takeaways. It was very boom on bus. I think mm. they'd be more comfortable saying, well, as long as we can keep it to 24 points in the postseason, we back the offense to go on and win the game. To out, yeah. To outplay it. The other first round they took was Trent McDuffie in the corner. And of course this corner is a particular, particular weak spot there and that will have the dual effect I guess of obviously strengthening the secondary but then taking the pressure a little bit off the front as well yeah and I, I, him as a day one guy I think is a, is a, is a bit iffy mm. um, how come we'll see about that he is just you know that Washington system is so particular and we've seen all those guys come into the league right the Byron Murphys and stuff They're, those guys are playing really deep and attacking the ball mm. and that's just not the way Steve Spagnuolo does things in Kansas City there will be more press man coverage where he just has often looked lost um, even at the college level so I think that's going to have more of a learning curve you know in, in college they actually run um, more elaborate coverages than they do in the NFL now, particularly in terms of combination stuff where you're kind of reading on the fly and you know winks and nods to each other um they don't do that in the NFL. They just say, you hit this spot or you cover this guy, best of luck. And if you don't do it, we'll go get someone else. And I think a lot of his success, though I like the physical profile and maybe that plays in there, um, came down to the fact that he was very instinctual and excellent at kind of reading what we call pattern reading, which is the coverage they run in college, which just they don't run in the NFL anymore. Okay, let's stay in the West, uh, uh, AFC West, and move on to the Broncos. Uh 
I think the most intriguing team in the most competitive division in in, in the NFL, um, I'll go as far as to say that, because it all looks good on paper, right? They've got uh, a top-tier quarterback. Actually, no, Drew Locke's left. (laughs) (laughs) I've got to get it. uh, Drew Locke gags in. Uh, Russell Wilson finally uh, getting something, what's it called? Protection. (laughs) So that's going to help. Look, it's absolutely stacked on both sides of the ball, right? Adding Wilson, of course, is... Uh, a significant upgrade. There's a huge amount uh, of uh, talent across the offense. The defense that is stacked, Randy Gregory, the, the shiniest new addition there. So it all looks, all looks good on paper, the hyper-competitive division notwithstanding. But you're worried in particular about the Wilson-Nathaniel-Hackett dynamic, aren't you? Yeah, I've written about this a ton. Broncos fans aren't, aren't very happy with this one. I, and it's not necessarily that I think it's going to go wrong. I just don't know exactly how they're going to figure it out. It, it does come down to who is kind of the power center in the building. Is it the really famous new quarterback and it's a new ownership group and they've signed off on getting the, the new quarterback right? Mm. Or is it the coach that the ownership group did not hire? And typically the coach would be the most powerful guy in the building. And it's trying to figure out how they 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 fit the, together a style that is very unique to what Hackett built with Aaron Rodgers and Wilson you would say is kind of that off script jazz artist somewhat similar to, to Rodgers but he mm. hasn't really played that way for a long time um, and the specifics of what Hackett built there we can get into if you want I know I've detailed some of the, the multi-tier passing stuff on here before but the Russell Wilson offense never changed in Seattle you know they would just cycle through coordinators they would get blamed and then they would just throw a new guy at it it would be Schottenheimer then they brought in Shane Waldron right and it's like here we go it's gonna be a new offense and by about week six Russell said throw all that stuff out we're going back to what I like to do and that is mostly vacating the middle of the field the the Mm. greatness of Russell Wilson is he hits the low percentage throws at a bonkers rate as in greatest of all time him and Marino rate outside the numbers deep down the field which then forces the defense obviously to to have their brain frazzled and have to really change what they do on the back end that's his greatness that's not what Hackett does Hackett wants to target the middle of the field everything kind of leads off that and I don't know necessarily how you square those two ideologies you probably just have to pick one or the other and, and I don't like that for Russell Wilson I think this team is stacked with guys Judy uh, the tight end's name mm-hmm. who I can never pronounce I just call Albert those guys <laughs> dominate the middle of the field and then you open up the, the chance of Sutton on the outside the chances mm-hmm. of Patrick on the outside so I, I, know, I think it, it, it stinks to me of a team who will figure that out maybe by the second half of the season but you look at their schedule and their winnable games are in those first six weeks and if they don't right. get a hot start in that division then it may be a bit of trouble and then maybe when they figure out kind of this philosophical x's and o's battle between the coach and the the quarterback is when their schedule just becomes you know an absolute mess i mean they are they are playing all of the big ones all on the road um so yeah i i'm not quite as high on the idea of you drop him in first year and that they, they make the it, they make the championship game or something. Yeah. Oh, it was so many interesting points there. The the power struggle that heightened in intensity, obviously in, in, in Seattle. And and this is by no means unique to, to Russell Wilson and, 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 and a, a top tier quarterback in, in a situation, wanting to do things a certain way, not always getting his way, despite being, uh, having that status. But you would assume that after, after that experience and, and how that all went down, he would, only take a situation. Yes, of course, a competitive situation is a given, a, a contending situation is a given, a contending environment, but you'd only take a situation where he would be incredibly comfortable that he gets to play the kind of football he wants, right? You'd think that he is one of those players that has, uh, particularly when he's moving to, to to a team like Denver and, and 
and they are, are trying to attract a talent like his that they are going to acquiesce to the kind of ball that he wants to play. So if we're weighing it up, you think it's highly likely that it will be Nathaniel Hackett compromising, not Russell Wilson, right? Yeah, I think so. And that was a big, big thing with the coaching staff in Seattle, right? They were they would get pissed off that they're putting all this work in that they think will and did attack the defense. You know, they would just bust massive um, wide open throws in the middle of the field. And he was just like, yeah, I'm not going to do it. So you get right. like, why am I doing this work at two in the morning for a guy who's not going to throw the ball? Why are we installing this? We know it will work, but he's not going to throw the ball there. So you, you get into that kind of just human battle of, well, this guy's going to listen to us anyway. Why are we doing it? And then you become this stale, predictable offense where everyone knows what Russell wants to run anyway. And everyone knows he's not going to throw into the high post. So why would we stick a defender there? So we can put, we can deploy our resources in the areas we know he wants to throw the ball. So, mm. you know, if you're him, you, you would think you would maybe do some self-reflection, sit down with Nathaniel Hackett. He can detail what he did to kind of uncork Aaron Rodgers and have those back-to-back -back MVP years. And the, the, the idea in your head of Wilson in that system is so tantalizing. It's like, oh man, I hope he can see how great that could be. Mm, I've got to remember Nathaniel Hackett for all the work he did with Aaron Rodgers, of course, uh, instrumental in the big Blake Bortles years as well. So uh, <laughs> we mustn't forget that on Nathaniel Hackett's CV. You mentioned the receiving core and it is formidable, right? Sutton and Hamler and Patrick and Judy. And uh, it, it, is it one of the strongest receiving cores in the NFL? Yeah, because of, I think, how well-rounded it is where you have the big body post-up guy, you have the tight end who can attack the middle of the field. You have KJ, we didn't even mention KJ Hamler. Hamler, right. right. I, if anyone's going to be stood in the middle of the field wide open for Russell Wilson, it's going to probably be that guy. Um, so, yeah, and now, you know, the whole league is moving to empty. They want to get five guys out in the pattern instantly rather than having someone come from the backfield. And then you, if you just lined up all the teams in the league who ha could play in empty and you say, okay, we, they've got every single body type and skill set covered that you would want, it would be them and it would be the Rams. You had, uh, looking at the other side of the ball, Justin Simmons as the game changer in, in your gridiron preview. Talk us through why you think he's so instrumental. Well, he, he's just the rangiest guy probably in the league, both because of the length and then the athleticism. And so when everyone else is trying to play in the two deep world, no one can cover exactly for the space you occupy with two deep safeties. But the one who comes the closest would be Justin Simmons. And that obviously allows you to compress the field downwards, basically. Marcus Williams did this a lot for New Orleans too, where you almost get that... Greg Williams at the Browns experience where one guy seems like he stood in the front row and everyone else is pushed up to the line of scrimmage, but it really throws off the landmarks, the receivers, and obviously the, the depth for the quarterback can't quite figure out why that guy's back there so far. Mm. Um, and then, well, he can close quicker than I would normally anticipate. So having that kind of speed and instincts from the deepest part of the field is having a great free safety is the biggest force multiplier for a defense. They, they don't touch the ball. You often can't see what they're doing and it's that, and it's the great interior pass rusher. Everyone knows about that one, right? It collapses the middle of the field of the pocket and it's, it's very difficult, but when you have a great true middle of the field safety, it, it just makes life so much easier. It just messes with quarterback's heads uh, from coast to coast. The West, we know, is the, it, the, obviously the toughest division, no doubt about it. Do you think three teams from the West will make the playoffs? Yeah, I mean, with the new rules, you could get four, I guess, if you'd sat under oh, the match. I hadn't considered that. Yeah, you're right. All four. <laughs> oh, wow. It is so bonkers. I, I was writing about the Raiders yesterday. I'm like, man, this team would be the best team in almost all the other divisions. Right? I think they have a better roster probably, maybe neck and neck with the Packers. It's like really close about... Right. 
you know, how you weigh that up, what you think of the Packers receiving core, and they are probably most likely to finish fourth in that division. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Depending on whether you're all in on the Wilson Hackett experience or not. Do you think they're the, yeah, they're the odd one out then? Assuming, well, I'd love it if all four teams made it, but let's assume it's three. Is it the Raiders that are the odd one out? Uh, well, you know, I, I'm kind of now married to this take of the, the Hackett-Wilson thing. Mm. And I just think that, that that Raiders offense, when you go through the pieces, plus McDaniels, now they have this abomination of an offensive line where right. they had two linemen last season whose pressure rate and and pressure total pressures conceded would be all pro figures for a pass rusher. I didn't even know how you divvy up the pressures that way. That, that makes <laughs> almost no statistical sense to me. And those yeah. guys are both starting this season still for the Raiders line. So it doesn't matter how good Devontae is, it doesn't matter how good Darren Waller is, that, that's still pretty difficult to overcome, even for someone like Derek Carr, who, who's a pretty good quarterback. So that they have the most obvious sinkhole in one mm. department than any other team. And it's the one area you would want not to have, right? Is yeah. The line. yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Let's move on to the 49ers next. Are the 49ers the most enigmatic team in the NFL right now? I think that they are my number one most interesting. Cannot wait to see what week one just looks like stylistically. Um, you know, as I've said on here before, with this new world of the two deep and rotate and everyone's trying to figure out what will the next evolution of offense be from that kind of wide zone, then boot system that Shanahan McVay kind of brought back to the league and then spread throughout it. And they all took their own different sprouts out, whether it's going to empty, whether it's building that passing system I, I talked about in Green Bay. And Shanahan just said, I'm going to throw all the draft picks at this kid. <laughs> He's going to figure it out for me. Mm. And so to see what his plan is to overcome that, you know, everyone loves the concept of, oh, it'd be great if they can sit and wait for you, sit and wait for you. We hear that all the time, even though the numbers say if they sit and wait, it usually means they're terrible. That's why they're, they're sitting and waiting. <laughs> sure, sure. So, Everyone loves that concept of wait and learn, sit and learn, learn from the master. So now let's go see it. You know, I just, I just cannot wait to see it. Well, yeah, on that, they're clearly set because allowing Jimmy Dree to search for a trade tells us everything we need to know, right, about how Lance is fitting in. They just wouldn't gamble at this stage. And I know there's 25 million riding on that if they can offset him. But they, they given the fact they obviously see themselves as contenders, they wouldn't be pushing that issue unless they were the certain that Lance is the guy and is ready. Well, they can't roll back what they got very lucky down the stretch last year with basically stealing games with a defense. I mean, their pressure rate, I think I wrote this in, in the annual, they had like a 68% pressure rate for like eight straight weeks, which is yeah. never, ever, ever been done and will never be replicated. So they know how unsustainable their defensive success was, which carried them. You know, it was not a great team last season. And Garoppolo's issues with his main issue is throwing in the middle of the field in the, in the key portion of the middle of the field. And it just wrecks that entire offense if you can't ding that particular spot. That They knew they could not roll that back. It, that would more likely be that it the, all the wheels came off, you know, defensive regression even though those guys are still great and Garoppolo is still being Garoppolo so the only haymaker you can throw is well we moved all those draft picks to go get that guy to solve all our problems basically mm. and I don't think they could have ever considered rolling it back with Garoppolo so Garoppolo um not going to be high on uh, Nathaniel Hackett's power rankings basically which is what, <laughs> what deduced from that so talk us through how Trey Lance it, uh, will work in, in the Shanahan offense uh, how do you uh, I mean how much can we can we predict there the big thing I think is them moving back to the pistol and him bringing in tons of the RG3 stuff, but kind of RG3 plus 
because Lance, I, I think, is more of a progression passer and certainly was in college mm. than, than RG3 was coming out. And the, the big thing I think we'll see this across the entire league is the pistol coming back, which for those at home is the um, it's shotgun formation. Instead of having the running back riding in sidecar, he stood directly behind the quarterback. And what you can get is the same run concepts as you would from under center. So it's just way more diverse than you're, you're constrained when the running back is already preset to one side of the formation riding next to the quarterback. When he's directly behind you, you get downhill more and you can just do more things in terms of the line movement. But what it also gives you as we move to the world of the too deep and rotate, that's the big thing. People keep saying too deep, too deep, too deep. It's not two and they all stand back there. It's two and then they're moving someone, which the league did not used to do. The point of that is to change the picture pre to post snap. And that was directly a consequence of these uh, play action boot offenses, right? Mm-hmm. The quarterback's going to turn his back to the defense. He has no vision about what's going on behind him. So we start two and then someone moves. Then he, as he gathers himself out of play action, he has to reassess where is everything and you hope the pass rush gets home in time. What the pistol allows you to do is you keep your vision down the field as you kind of run the play fake with the running back. You're no longer turning your back, but you get the same run concepts as you would from under center. Plus they can bring in all kind of the zone option, Kaepernick style stuff, the Greg mm. Roman and Harbaugh around with the Niners, uh, almost 10 years ago. 10 years ago. Yeah. Yeah. So I think we see a whole sale shift across the league back towards the pistol so that QBs can keep their vision as guys are moving and what Lance provides for you is the run element. And if you go through that Cardinals game, one, they did some really quirky stuff that you just don't do in the run game with a quarterback with Trey Lance, which was like almost blew my hair off with some of the hesitation blocks. I will not bore you now with, with detailing the hesitation blocks, but the holes they were puncturing open as people fear the triple option threat, essentially of the running back running downhill instantly at the snap, the quarterback pulling it and then the throw was outrageous. And when you tack onto that, they might have the best collection of receiver talent. You know, uh, it, when you include the tight end, the guy who can play any position, and then Brandon Ayuk, who's a great big body on, on the perimeter. I genuinely don't know just philosophically how you would even comprehend trying to, to slow that down. Wow. I mean, it sounds so compelling to see how it's, how it's going to play out. So intriguing. There are negatives flying around. I don't know how significant they are. They've been overplayed by uh, a few, the Lance raw element, I, I think is, is, and there's a lot of talk coming out of camp, coming out, he's exceptional. And sometimes that can be overplayed, I guess. But I think we can be reasonably confident that uh, he is going to be uh, one of those starters that is hitting the ground running in this situation. One of the other situations that has been hyped up is Debo, obviously, and how disruptive that is, how big an issue that is. I also want to understand what you think about how Debo will evolve and how they'll use him in in this uh, in this style offense. But in terms of the off the field um, impact that that protracted negotiation is having, do you think there's anything in that that in the disruption? How big an issue is the Debo factor? The only disruption is him not wanting to do the thing that makes him the most special offensive player in the league, which is playing both positions at an all pro level. Right um, now, I don't think it's necessary at all. I think they can kind of scheme their way now to better looks and they have a quarterback who can take advantage of it and they can only get to those looks because of that quarterback and you should no one should ever forget that he is a just pure dominant wide receiver if you you know get that's what he wants to concentrate on that yeah play that that's fine to have that to have kids on and you can kind of scheme your way to the run game Mm. Uh, it'll be lovely to have that as an option just because it freaks the defense out so much they've got to you know prepare for it all week um one big thing you can do 
when you move to the pistol is you can realign the front however you want because you can just move the guy you can't go from the shotgun and kind of walk backwards into the pistol but you can go from the pistol and move to wherever you want across the formation so mm. it would become an extra head bleep for everyone else if Debo's the guy stood back there yeah. it would almost be like well can you just can we put in the contract four reps a game so they have to at least prepare for it and we'll move you <laughs> we'll back there for like 12 but we'll move you for eight yeah. of them. Yeah. That is the only concern I would have of it leaking over because he could just be one of those guys who came in week one and if he just played wide receiver, you would be, you know, he'd be still be dominant. I imagine. Still be danger. On the ground game, Elijah Mitchell's the feature back, right? So how do you see that fitting into everything? Well, it's interesting that they've had these zone and cut guys in the Shanahan dating back to his dad, dating back to Alex Gibbs, dating through Gary Kubiak and McVay. Mm. They just find anyone they want. They could grab you, Nat, and they say, look, you read the hole and whenever there's daylight... I'd handle it. I'd be there. I'm in. So moving from that one cut and go system to what would be more of what we call a gap oriented run scheme is you have to put your head down and you have to hit that gap and the timing has to be just right. So it will be an adjustment for them all, particularly as Lance is doing more of the read stuff than they've done previously, which is that they can just hit it and go really quick. So I'm fascinated, but Kyle Shanahan has proven over 12 years now, dating back to those Washington days that if anyone can figure out run game dynamics, he's the guy. It sounds to me that you there is an, a, an element of risk, really, with backing the 49ers for a, for, for a deep run. But it sounds to me like you're big on them. You think they're going to go? You they're going to go deep. Yeah, I really like them. I like what they did on defense too. You know, they were really simplistic last year because they had no cornerbacks, and it was you know every week they were trying to figure out how to solve that. They just dropped Varius Ward in there, which mm. really just naturally diversify what they can do, which is what they really needed. My only concern is Lance, Lance from the pocket in in the particularly the Cardinals game where it was a complete mess. He developed a heel click, bizarre footwork thing that he's never had in his life, which to me was just pure antsy. It's my first game. It's a big right. stage. They're a good team because at the time the Cardinals were obviously rolling um, and just pa- a bit of panic. Now you would hope by year two that would settle down. It was much better when we saw him in the Texans game. As long as that stuff is cleaned up, then is he going to be you know the top player in the league? Is he going to be a Cam Newton in the Shanahan offense, which is the, the dream they were envisaging when they when they drafted him i don't know for that but i know it will certainly elevate the ceiling beyond what what garoppolo had the year before you know just on that thinking about it and you, you kind of referenced um you you know you referenced a few things that that got me thinking is is as you were talking looking at that and particularly the quarterback sitting for a year like in, in recent memory obviously Mahomes under Alex Smith is the is the real success story there but extending that to Mahomes and Andy Reid coming together when they did, right? And you look at Andy Reid, had McNabb, obviously had Vic uh, when Vic came back. Uh, uh, and that there was a progression really as his offense developed, his offensive philosophy developed, that it was coming together at the perfect time. A quarterback like Mahomes coming together with Reid at the stage of his career, everything that he's pieced together, developed, worked on. I'm not saying it's a, an identical like-for-like comparison, but do you get a sense that there could be a similar thing going on here with Lance coming in and working with Shanahan at the stage that Shanahan is at in terms of his evolution? Yeah, I think so. And also it's the evolutionary cycle of the league, you know, it, and he has they he foresaw this. That's why they made the move last year is that what we're doing now, eventually they'll find a counter for, we got to go find the next thing. And I think it's going to be grabbing someone who can play in my RG3 style system with some of the elements of what I've developed since those days, mm. who has the power running element of like Cam. That's the thing. We've never seen someone of Lance's build and mobility 
in a Shanahan style system. It's usually someone who can move a little bit, but they're like a wiggler, more of like a Russell Wilson, like mm. want to get hit type guy. Um, or they just use the the run to offset like Aaron Rodgers. They can move, but they're moving to throw. We have never seen a power runner who can just run through someone's face mask or throw the ball 80 yards down the field in that system. And I, I think that's what he foresaw was, well, why don't I go and get that element where we could run one of those systems if we need to. And if the league doesn't catch up in time, I can keep doing what I'm doing, but we've never seen anyone in this. And now he's got to figure out how to fuse those two different styles together. Same thing is happening for Tua over in Miami. How do you fuse those two styles together? Um, I think the Niners, because they have Kittle and, and Debo, they have two cheat codes that makes that you will look like a genius because you're throwing the ball. Right. Kittle is just wide open once again. Right. You mentioned uh, Tua, and uh, that's the final thing I want to wrap on because time is against us without giving too much away because it is in uh, the Gridiron season preview, the 22 annual, uh, which is, of course, available via the Gridiron site and uh, at a WH Smiths, right? That's yeah. uh, it's always great. Yeah, wherever you get your mags. There you go. Um, there's a brilliant piece you wrote uh, about McDaniel being in Miami and tour and, and how that is coming together or otherwise without giving up or giving away too many spoilers, because obviously we want our listeners to go buy it and read it. And you absolutely should. It's, it's a brilliant piece. Talk us through some of the, the key narratives happening in Miami and, and concerns that you have. Well, you have this, this guy who was, unbelievable last season on RPO throws and, and a complete unique style of RPO at any level of football because only the NFL has the particular yardage rule about how far you can get down the field. You can get away with a ton more in college and high school. So they built this system, which I described as kamikaze in there, where they're reading the first line of the defense, the big 300-pound guy right in the quarterback's face, but to throw the ball deep down the field. It, it was like they were trying to get the guy hurt. It was bizarre, but he was unbelievable at it because he's he's the best RPO thrower of all time. That's what everyone says. And the that the evidence holds up when you watch the film or when you see the numbers. The problem is blending that with what Mike McDaniel has done throughout his career, where he has been the run game guru with Shanahan, right? That's that's what he's known for. And it is that wide zone stuff. And with two, you don't really have the luxury of going to the pistol stuff we described with Lance as that kind of meeting middle ground where you could put the two styles together because he doesn't have the run element. And you mm. need the run element to make that effective at the NFL level, at least the read element in the run game. And you just can't do that with two unless it's an RPO. And as much as RPOs are fancy and they sound cool and you know everyone likes them as being like a futuristic thing and if you don't say you have them in your offense you sound like a dinosaur they are just so restricted at the NFL level it's two one read and go when in the NFL you have to be able to bounce the second third fourth check mm. down um so I don't know how they're going to get around that 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 I mean I I, tr I think Mike McDaniel is you know brilliant and not and what everyone says about him and I'm more interested to see what he thinks the solution is than even having an opinion on what it should be or whether it can be done. It's more like, well, here's a really clever guy who will be well aware of this problem. And what is the solution? And I think the solution he's kind of snuck in there under the radar is Teddy Bridgewater. I think he thought, well, <laughs> right. I'll, I'll try to find a way to fuse these two dynamics so that they just don't naturally flow together what Tua has done well in his career and what Mike McDaniel has done well in his career. The alternative would be, well, I'll just run my offense anyway and we'll put Teddy Bridgewater in. Mm, interesting dynamic role in there as well. I don't wonder uh, who's going to come out on top in terms of Tua head coach, much like in uh, in Denver, it seems. Brilliant stuff. The Tua conundrum is the title of that piece. And uh, check it out. The Gridiron 2022 20, annual. I'm holding up for the cameras. Uh, for those of you watching video over on our social channels at the NC Show. Brilliant stuff, Ollie. It's always a pleasure catching up with you, man. Always fun. 
always an education, always a pleasure whenever he is on. Uh, I said it, I don't know, what was the over-under on how many times I recommended you go and bought the uh, By the Grid on Ang- Annual, about 24? Well, I'll do it one more time. It's great. It's a brilliant read. I think it is demonstrably their best yet. So go and give that some love. Uh, and uh, we will be checking in with Ollie very, very soon. You can count on that. There's plenty more where that came from as we roll into next season. We're going to have me and I, Mike, every Monday on the review show, looking back at all the action from the weekend. Me and Propo getting you set for the weekend with Edge Rush preview show, range of special guests there. Shane Vereen's going to be a regular. I know he's another fan favorite with you. Ben Isaacs, of course, as well, part of the All-Pro lineup. And FFS with James Santorini. If you haven't checked that out already, two episodes in with our friends at DraftKings, giving you the fantasy intel, the fantasy savvy you need to know. And hey, our listener league, if you haven't got stuck in with that, uh, DraftKings has set that up for us. DraftKings.co.uk, the Nat Coombe Show, a listener league. We've also got that link in the show bio here the show notes and also pinned on twitter at the nc show get involved with that lots of prizes ollie and i are in it james is in it go head to head with us every week during the season and if you want to win uh the chance to win tickets to broncos jags at wembley you got to be in that league got to be in the show league and we will be announcing in uh weeks to come how you can enter that competition to win tickets to the big game so get involved with our listener league courtesy of DraftKings. right we're back plenty more next week so keep locked in right here to the nc show bye for now Podcast Network.